someone asked me, see, now that I'm teaching uh, more college students than I ever taught before, um, someone asked me if he's allowed to get down on one knee to get engaged. Now, you know, 11th graders don't typically get engaged during 11th grade, so now I'm facing more of those kinds of questions. So is he allowed to get down on one knee when he gets engaged? That's an interesting question. I never thought about it. I don't, I don't think I thought about it. I don't think I did it, but, uh, but I, I certainly don't think I... Uh, I it was a Kaepernick reference. Oh, okay. Oh, you thought that? Oh, I see. Okay. I hear. Um, it's not. So, and, <laughs> that's it. You're done. So, and, and someone else asked me if you're allowed to blow out birthday candles and have birthday candles. And that I thought, of course you're allowed to. Why wouldn't you be allowed to blow out birthday candles? So they're really both the same issue at the end of the day. What they're both talking about is the same issue, and it's the same issue that we've discussed, I don't know if we've discussed in the past, but I've definitely discussed in the past, the same issue about doing yoga. Are you allowed to do yoga? It's all the same issue. What's the issue? What do we define as chukas hagayim, as chukas akam? There's nisr in the Torah, but chukas hagayim, you're not allowed to follow the chukos of the gayim. So how exactly do we define it, and do all these things fit into that category? Meaning, you would imagine that, uh, you know, in Talmudic times, the holy Tanaim and Amorayim were, were not getting down on one knee and proposing with a big diamond ring, right? So, so it clearly, that, that comes from Gayim. Does that make it Chukasakum? The fact that Gayim did it before we did it? Uh, clearly, when, when, when it comes to, when it comes to um, yoga, the Gayim were doing it way before Jews decided to do it. Right, Jews were eating kishka and weighing 350 pounds way before, you know, way before they were able to, oh, shalom aleichem, shalom aleichem, wow, okay, the crowds are coming. Traffic, traffic, then it's a killer, it's a killer. Welcome, everybody. So, so, what was I saying? Yeah, so we were discussing the, what, what exactly are the parameters of, of chukah sagayim? Is one allowed to have birthday candles on a birthday cake and blow them out? Is that a violation of chukah sagayim? Is one allowed to do yoga? Is that a violation of chukah sagayim? Is one allowed to, um, to, to get down on one knee to propose to your girlfriend, future fiancé, if she says yes? Is that, is that a violation of chukah sagayim? How exactly do we, do we define this? You know, Rabbi Blumenkrantz, Zichron Levracha, was a rabbi in Farakaway, and he was the first one to produce a Pesach digest, like a, uh, a compendium of all the halachas of Pesach. So for like decades, Rabbi Blumenkrantz was the only posik for Pesach. And therefore, everyone was super duper machmir about issues of Pesach because he's the only one that produced anything that said what you can and can't have. And essentially, you can't have anything. Rabbi Blumenkrantz, was, he, was a, he was a very big tzaddik and a tabul chacham and everything else. And, and he was certainly entitled to his opinion, but he had, he had some very strict opinions with regard to, uh, to Pesach. But because like, that was his thing, the Pesach Digest was his thing, he wouldn't just include Hilchus Pesach in there. He would, he would include all of the things that upset him, you know, all of the things that, like, uh, that he thought needed fixing in the Jewish world. So, for example, you know, he would talk about electric shavers. What does that have to do with Pesach? Who's shaving on Pesach? He would talk about and he spoke about birthday cakes. In his, uh, now, if you're eating a birthday cake on Pesach, then you're chayv kares, but not because it's a birthday cake, but because it's Pesach. And you know, you chayv on Pesach. But he was talking, he, he, he thought that birthday cakes are a violation of Chukas Why in the world would he think they're a violation of Chukas So where did it come from? Where did birthday candles come from? So it actually, if you uh, consult with Google and Wikipedia, you will discover that the tradition of birthday candles probably began in ancient Greece, when people brought cakes adorned with lit candles to the temples of the goddess of the hunt. 
The candles were lit to make them glow like the moon, a popular symbol associated with this goddess. Many ancient cultures also believed that smoke carried their prayers to the heavens. Today's tradition of making wishes before blowing out your birthday candles may have started this belief. You blow out the candles, smoke comes up, and that carries your prayers, the wish you just had in your head. That's what it's all about. Not a Yiddish Hazach, right? That doesn't sound like something that has Jewish sources. So is that, is that therefore an automatic violation? Right, Blumkrantz certainly thought so. He thought it's, uh, you know, we, we, should, um, we should stop doing this at children's birthday parties and, and, and the like. Now, the source of getting down on one knee to propose, not as clear. If you consult the internet on that, they're not sure. Um, the, uh, they suggest that maybe uh, it, it represents uh, a, a prayer position. Catholics bend on one knee as a sign of respect toward the tabernacle before taking their seats for the Mass. So maybe it comes from that. Knights bend down on one before the king when being knighted and when presenting themselves in a show of honor to royalty. So maybe you're showing that your future wife is royalty by bowing on one knee in front of her. It shows respect, honor, surrender. So maybe that's the idea of... So again, not exactly a Jewish thing, but maybe or maybe not have a desire. We're not, we're not exactly sure where that comes from. Um, I, I, I was, when I was searching online about this, anyone know who Rabbi Tzvi Berkowitz is in their Israel? He's one of the... He's a, known as like the best Magad Shir in the United States of America. He's like, gives, uh, he gives a very, very, very good Shir. And uh, the one that all the guys, the stronger guys in every soul are, are dying to get into. You know, they want to be in his Shir because, you know, Rashi Berkowitz is like, he's, he's, he's a, but he, he, personality-wise, he's like very, he's a real straight man. You know, he's like very, uh, doesn't show much emotion, doesn't, uh, doesn't, you know, he doesn't say too many crazy things. Everything is just, you know, yes, no, maybe, no, not. Right. So uh, they, on, on, on a comment on, on one of the blogs, which is obviously the best source for all information, it said that the way Ritzvi Berkowitz uh, proposed to his wife was that at the end of one of his dates he said, uh, so we should probably plan a chasana. So <laughs> that was his proposal. So my brother is a Talmud Ritzvi Berkowitz. So I emailed him that comment, and my brother wrote back, Nikarin Divrei Emes. He said, you know, we can't always trust comments on blogs, but that is definitely true. <laughs> There's no doubt that that's the way he proposed. So he didn't get down on one knee. Okay, but is it permissible to do so? So in order to understand this, in order to answer this, we should, we should back up a little bit and, and discuss what exactly are the parameters of Chukas Hagayim. One is not allowed to follow the Chukas Hagayim, but what does that mean? What makes something Chukas Hagayim? So the smag in Mitzvah Slos Nun has a very broad definition of Chukas he describes things that are miyuchad lahem, things that goyim do. That's chukas hagoyim. Does it have to be avodzar? No. Even if it's not avodzar, it's just goyish things. That's very difficult. Very difficult to put your finger on. What, what does it mean miyuchad lahem? If there is a fashion designer in Paris that's making new stylish uh, suits and they're all a little tighter than they were uh, five or ten years ago, so does that mean that it's chukas hagoyim to wear it because it's miyuchad lahem? I don't know. He's probably making those suits for whoever's willing to buy them, Jews, non-Jews alike. What, what, what makes it miyuchad lahem? What makes something miyuchad? Very difficult to, to really have a, a clear hagdara, according to the smag. The gra, on, on Shulchan Aruch, the gra says that taking anything they use in worship and using it in our worship would definitely be a violation of chukas agayim. That's why the gra was against having trees in shul, even on shavuos, because trees are used as a method of worship in 
many other religions. Yeah. Wasn't, weren't a lot of those things adopted, though? Yes. Gross says, even if we had it first, but to use the same it. methods of worship, well, certainly if we adopted it from them, but he thinks, even if they adopted it from us, but it's, it's not a mitzvah per se, and it's become associated with, you know, the mental association you have with the tree is not a Jewish way of worship, it's another way of worship, and therefore, meaning, who has a holiday with a tree? So everyone knows who has a holiday with a tree in America, and it's not the Jews, unless there's a mixed marriage and they put a little menorah ornament on the top of it. <laughs> that we, don't do, we don't do holidays with trees. Yeah? Ah, okay. So that's uh, good. So is the Rabbi Darshani Chukasagayim. You should, when you become like on the board of a shul, you should make a, a movement that the rabbi shouldn't be allowed to darshan. Um, it used to be that rabbis would, would darshan only Shabbos Hagadol and Shabbos Shuvah, or before Yom Tovim or something like that. Um, it, it would certainly make my job easier. You know? <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Isn't there makos about like lo tismach el gil goyim? Yeah, el gil kam. About music. Specifically, that you can't use it. Is it right? Non-Jewish music has its own specific uh, iser associated with it, thing, but that's even beyond b'chuk semlosalechu. Meaning that that's an additional, an additional issue. It may or may not be also a violation b'chuk semlosalechu, but but it may not matter because it may be a separate iser anyway. The 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 working um, definition of b'chuk semlosalechu, the one that we stick with, the one that the Ramah paskins in Shulchan Aruch, is the sheet of the Maharik. The Maharik is one of these underrated Rishonim, late Rishonim slash early Akronim. Uh, he, he's underrated in the sense that no one really learns Maharik, but at the same time, we all learn the Psakim of the Maharik, because the Ramah and the Mechaber quote the Psakim of the Maharik all the time. So when you learn Shulchan Aruch, you're very often learning what the Maharik had to say about something, but you'll very rarely actually open up a Maharik and learn a Maharik. Now, the Ma'arik says, in order for something to be chukas it has to fit one of two criteria. And those criteria are either an act that is pritzus, that in some way is, is immodest, and the Gayim do it. So to dress in a particularly immodest way, if that's the style, so even for, not just for women, for men also, that would be a violation of chukasayim lo so if, let's say the suits are a little too tight, and uh, you know that's but that's the way the guy wear them, that would be pritzos b'chukseim lo Or he says, and this is the more the more critical one for for our purposes, anything that doesn't have a logical explanation, a davar shein botan, that there's no logical explanation. Now, why does anything that has no logical explanation? Why is that a problem of b'chukseim lo so the reason it's a problem is because if it has no logical explanation, we have to be concerned that it comes from Avodazara. And if it comes from Avodazara, we shouldn't be doing it. So B'chukseim Lo Salechu is something that is either pritzos or has a chashash that it comes from Avodazara. Now the truth is, it might be one and the same. It could be that he understands pritzos as something that in all likelihood comes from Avodazara. But for sure, the second thing, something that doesn't have a reason, in all likelihood comes from Avodah Zarah, or at least possibly comes from Avodah Zarah, and therefore we shouldn't do it. Now here's the problem. Here's the issue. What if you have something... So, and, and that's what the Ramah quotes it. The Ramah says, don't do anything that has no logical reason. So Rav Shakti used to say, we eat French fries. Why do we eat French fries? There's a very logical reason. It's delicious. 
That's why we eat them. So you can't say that has no logical reason. You say, but a tie. There's no logical reason to wear a tie. And he would pick up his tie and say, so that would be b'chukasem lo serechu. I don't think he really held it is because he wore one. But he was saying that like, if, the, if you can't really explain why something... No, a tie adds a little color to your outfit. It gives the yeshiva guy a way to express himself when everything else is black and white. You know, there's reasons for ties. There's reasons... But if there's no reason for something, there's no, and the Ramad gives an example in the opposite. He says, I'll give you an example of something that has a good reason and therefore is not the chukoseim lo sadechu. He says, you go into any hospital, the guys in the white coats, those are doctors. So is a doctor allowed to wear a white coat? It's a goyish azach that a doctor wears a white coat. Yes, he's allowed to wear a white coat. Why? Because if you need immediate medical attention and you go over to the nearest person and you can't identify if he's a doctor or an orderly, then you've got a problem. Or a patient, for that matter. Then you've got a problem. So you need something to be able to quickly identify doctors. It makes sense. Logical. It doesn't apply. But if it makes no sense, there's no reason to do it. Why on earth are you blowing out candles? On your birthday. What does it have to do with your birthday? What does it have to do with anything? What do candles represent? What do they mean? What are they doing? Did you need a little extra heat in the house? Extra light? What's it about? It's in no logical sense. So that would be says the Ramah. Now he doesn't give the example of candles, but he says something that fits that criteria. But here's, here's where it gets tricky. What if you have something that makes perfect logical sense? There's a very good explanation of why you would do it. But you know it comes from Avodah It's not like it might, or even if it might, but, but some, there are certain things we know come from Avodah but it makes perfect sense. What's an example of something that we know comes from Avodah and makes perfect sense to do? Meditations. What? Meditations. Meditations. Yoga. Why does it make perfect sense to do yoga? People who are into yoga say that well into your 50s and 60s, if you do yoga regularly, you will have very good balance, You'll, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll feel good about yourself, you'll, uh, you'll be stronger, you'll be, it's, it's an excellent form of exercise. Not for me, I tried it once. <laughs> I almost fell on my head and killed myself, but it's, it's, it's an excellent form of exercise for, I guess, certain people. So it's, it, there's, there's very good reason to do it. It relaxes people, there's very good reasons, but all of these things, you know, sun salutations was not like code word for like learning shas and paiskin, you know, sun salutations, was a way they would salute the sun. You know, that's not that's not something that probably comes from from uh, anything but avodazara, and all the aming and the uh, shtanga and the all, all these things are they don't come from. It's about mind, body, and soul, and connecting to a higher force. That that's what they talk about when they talk about yoga, but it makes a lot of good sense. What about birthday candles? So, so one second, before we get... So what would that... Is that Chukas or not? So I would contend, and I was so excited when I found Rav Moshe Feinstein said, said this, he noticed this also, it wasn't just me, that even though the Ramah quotes the Marik, the Ramah misquotes the Marik a little bit. The way the Marik presents it, he would say one thing. The way the Ramah quotes the Marik, he would say something else. The way the Marik presents it, presents this idea of doing something that has no logical reason, Marik says, you can't do something that has no logical reason because someone's going to look at you and they're going to say, why on earth is that guy doing that? It must be Avodah 
There's no other explanation. Why would he do that? It must be able to start. That's Something that you do, it's going to be so curious. Everyone's going to look at you and be like, what? That must be able to That's That's not what the Ramah says. The Ramah says, don't do something that doesn't make sense because you have to be concerned that that might be based and that might have been that might have been sourced originally some time back in Avodah And if it was, that's a problem. You see the difference between the two presentations? According to the Marik, it's that someone's going to look at you and say, why is he doing that? Which means, if they can answer right away, I can tell you why he's doing that, because it helps in balance and concentration and strength and whatever, you're fine. Whereas according to the Ramah, that's not, a, it's not good enough. The Ramah says anything that might be from Avodah problem. you got a problem if it might be from Avodah Which would mean yoga is enough communion between the Marik and the Ramah. According to the Marik, it should be fine. According to the Ramah, it shouldn't be fine. So now, what about birthday candles? Is that Chukazakam based on, based on these definitions? Um, according to the smag, you know, a Gaisha thing, any Gaisha thing, for sure it's a problem. According to the Marik, Lucha'ora should be a problem because someone would look at that and say, there's no logical reason for that. It must be Avodah based. And certainly the way the Ramah says it, it we know it's Avodah based. So it would seem to be a problem. So what's the head? <laughs> it's got to be a head. Everyone does it, right? There's no time anymore to what it once was. Ah, so what if something is so divorced from its original source that, yes, we know it makes no sense nowadays, and therefore it's probably based on Avodah Zara, or we could do the research because we have Google now, and we know it's based on Avodah Zara, but nobody, nobody on earth still today does it because of Avodah Zara. It's not, it's not done at all because of Avodah Zara. So do you get to a point where it loses that connection? And even though maybe the practice started in Avodah Zarah initially, maybe it, it becomes mutter. I'll give you another example. Putting a key in your challah, the Shabbos after Pesach. It comes from Christian sources. So they would put a cross in their bread around Easter time, which, by the way, is around Pesach time. But they don't do that anymore. They don't put they don't put keys in their breads anymore. They, they've uh, they've become more sophisticated than that. But we still <laughs> we, we we still like to put keys in the challah. So if you say that you know doing something that's so clearly divorced, it's so clearly foreign to that source, then maybe maybe it becomes mutter again. I asked with Jonathan Sachs this morning what he thought about uh, various chukasaka issues. I asked him which. Should we, should we follow the, the Marik's presentation of the Marik or the Ramah's presentation of the Marik? And he said, the Ramah, anything that has no reason and it might be sourced in Avodah Zarah and certainly something that you know is sourced in Avodah Zarah is Asr. So I said, so birthday candles are Asr? He's like, what? <laughs> What's wrong with birthday candles? I, I said, well, it's based on Avodah Zarah. He said, really? I never, never heard that. He said, no, that's okay. I said, well, why is it okay? You just told me that it's not okay. He said, no, no one, no one ever connects birthday candles to Avodah No one in a million years. Yoga people still would. He thought yoga was a problem. But he said no, no one would, would ever connect, would ever connect birthday candles to uh, to Avodah 
What about getting down in one? Uh, by the way, making a wish. What's the making a wish? That's what we said. That is probably because they believe the smoke takes the, the prayers up. Although, although, making a wish on a birthday, if you don't call it a wish, but rather you call it a tefillah, then that's a good thing to do. I dafka on a birthday? You should have to, yes, a birthday is a time for introspection, and that's fine. We have gedolei Yisrael. We have, I don't want to get into all the issue of birthdays right now, but there are gedolei Yisrael that on their birthdays would take the time to reflect. Ramesh's grandchildren say that he used to insist that, his that, that they would call him on his birthday, say happy birthday. And, and, and gedolei Yisrael would take the time to reflect. And think, where am I going? Where am I heading? Was this year what I wanted it to be? You know, I'm reaching this age. Am I, am I where I expected to be at this age? And if it's a time to reflect, it's a time to pray. So that's okay, yeah. But what about praying specifically when you're blowing out your ah, candle? Ah, so that could be a problem, right? That, that would seem to be, again, it, it's totally in this larger issue. If you say like of Saxis, Svara, that anything that's so far divorced from Avodazara is, is fine, then that would be fine. But if you're saying just like the simple reading of the Ramah, the simple reading of the Marik, then it, then it wouldn't be so fine. Um, what about getting down on one knee? So the, the source of getting down on one knee is not clear at all. It's, it's really one of those things that, you know, whereas, whereas yoga was, we know it's, it's based on Avodazara, but there's a good reason for it. Getting down on one knee is the opposite. We don't know what it's based on, and, and, and there's no real reason for it. Like, it doesn't really do anything, it doesn't accomplish anything, you can't really explain it. Why it's, lo- why it's a logical thing to do, other than people think it's cute because it's what they saw on TV growing up when there's a proposal scene. So, I mean, we don't really, we don't really have, have a, a time for it, but we also don't know that it's based on Avodah Zarek, which would seem to be textbook Ramah, right? Ramah says anything you don't have a good explanation for, you have to be Choshesh, might be based on Avodah Zarek, and therefore you're not allowed to do it. Um, Someone actually suggested that, no, there's a very logical explanation for it. If you're presenting a diamond ring, um, and guys are typically taller than the girl, so when you present the ring to her, uh, it's, it's a bad angle for her to see the glory of the ring. So you, you go down, and right at that height, when you open it up, like the sun is shining at the, <laughs> at the ring, and she's able to see, like, you know, as she's standing up. So if that's the reason for it, so then that's great. But then I don't know if you could do if you don't have a ring yet or whatever. Okay. What about blowing up candles? So the, the, the truth is you have to take a step back on this because it may be us or not us. There's a Kabbalistic issue with blowing out candles ever, with the idea of just blowing out candles. The Kolbo says that there are four things that if a person does, dumb of Barosha. His blood is on his head, which means it's like suicide. Benishchai also, quoting from Narizal, not to blow out candles. Why not? So the Kolbo says, well, Damabrosha will cause you to, uh, it causes danger of epilepsy. You'll have an epileptic seizure if you blow out candles. I have no idea where he gets it from, some, somewhere in the Kabbalah. Another suggestion that they say, and they, they quote this from the Stipler and Yitzchai uh, Zunfeld, of Harfinus quotes this, the uh, Satmar Dayan in uh, Nishma Shabbos, that there's a name of a certain Malach whose name is pronounced something similar to the whoosh that comes out of your mouth when you, when you blow a candle. And you're not supposed to use names of angels. 
So it's a problem of saying the angel's name, and that's why you're not supposed to blow out the candles. So it's not really blowing out candles. Like if you were Superman and you could blow like a fire, at, uh, not a fire, but I don't know, whatever you ever see the old Superman uh, or new Superman movies, like you could you could blow something, a wind, you could cause a whatever when he turns evil and he destroys cities by blowing. It. Okay, anyway, whatever. I am sure. So <laughs> if, if you just wouldn't be allowed to blow, you just can't. You just can't make a forceful wind come come out of your mouth. Um, the Rebbe Chaim Zangfeld says that, that yeah, that's why the minig is that when you have to blow something, you say Purim or Pesach, <laughs> and that way you, you're saying the name of, of something else as you blow. I've never seen that done. I don't know if that's the minig, but apparently that's what he says the minig. So why why are people making on this? So. I, you know, there are all sorts of types. Shomer Pesach Hashem. If you don't know any different, you're just a simple person. You're just going about life in the normal way. So Hakadosh Baruch Hu protects you. Where do we say the concept of Shomer Pesach Hashem? The Gemara says the concept of Shomer Pesach Hashem that the Gemara assumes that uh, that um, you that if a, if if a child is conceived on a specific day, that you can you can narrow down within a three day period when the baby's going to be born. We obviously can't do this anymore because it's just not the way nature works anymore. But it used to be, the Gemara says, that you could within three days you could predict when the baby's going to be born. So the Gemara says, so be careful not to have Bia in a time where that three-day window is going to include a Shabbos. Because then you're going to have to be Mechal Shabbos to deliver the baby. And you don't want to have to be Mechal Shabbos. Even though you have to do it if there's, if there's a delivery. You have to do it. But you try to avoid having to do it. We still would rather keep shot. So the Gemara says, ah, you don't have to think about these things. You don't have to like look at your calendar before uh, conceiving with all the other cheshbonos that sometimes people have to have in order to, uh, to conceive, in order to be able to be you know, a fertile time of the month or whatever. Like, oh, no, no, it's going to be a Shabbos. We've got to wait three days. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> so the Gemara says, Shomer B'Shem Hashem, just live life like a normal person and then everything will work out okay. So Shomer B'Shem Hashem means if you're not thinking about these things, if these things aren't on your radar, then you don't have to worry about it. So some posts can say, yeah, that's why, that's what Yosem Zarenfeld says, that's why people blow out candles. Because even though it is a problem, very unclear. Moshe uses Shomer Pesayim Hashem very famously in a very odd way. Anyone know Rav Moshe's famous Shomer Pesayim Hashem? Rav Moshe has a couple of truths about smoking cigarettes. And Rav Moshe says, yeah, Shomer Pesayim Hashem, and the whole world does it. So you just live like a normal person. You smoke two packs a day, so God will watch over the simple people. What? So, like a lot of the later poskim were, were not particularly enthralled with that uh, with that line of reasoning. You know, it's one thing to have a baby that may or may not come out on Shabbos. Another thing to uh, you know do something that is is clearly, clearly, demonstrably hazardous to your health. So, Rav David, Moshe's son, in a more recent uh, journal, says he has no doubt. He has no doubt. Rav David said, not just Rabbi Tendler, who who's been saying it for years. But Rav David Feinstein said he has no doubt that if Moshe was alive today, that he would have asked for smoking cigarettes, which is, is a big thing for Rav David to say, because Rav David normally doesn't move an inch off of his father's socket. He says he has no doubt that his father would ask for So Shom Pesach Hashem is like this nebulous concept. It's not so easy to exactly... But the real reason... And, and others say, oh, it's because Shomer Mitzvah the Davarat. As long as when you're blowing out candles, you're doing a mitzvah, don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen to you. We use that concept sometime also, that, 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 that if you're doing a mitzvah, Kodesh Baruch will protect you. But you don't need any of that. You know why you don't need any of that to be allowed to blow out candles? Because it doesn't say anywhere in Shas or Shulchan Aruch that you're not allowed to blow out candles. 
So guess what? That means if something is not usher, it is mutter, right? So Ravad Yosef writes in Yabiya Omer, he says it's not found in Shas. He says, you know what? There's a Gemara Nida that lists the things that Dhamma Barosha, that if a person does these things, it's dangerous and you're taking your life into your own hands. And it doesn't list blowing out candles. He said, but that's not a raya. Because it could be that there are more things on the list that it do. But he said, the raya is that it just doesn't appear anywhere. So therefore, it's okay to blow out candles. Now, when is there a mitzvah to actually extinguish candles? Sometimes you actually have a mitzvah. This is these sources I got from a new sefer I just had mailed to me this week, Hegyone uh, Parsha on Devarim. This is Rabbi Ari Wasserman. He published the first four volumes uh, a while ago already, and he just completed the set on Devarim. You know who this is, Rabbi Ari Wasserman? He was a, uh, a lawyer uh, for years. He was in, uh, worked in Sullivan Cromwell, a famous law firm, and uh, then he worked in a number of other places. He lived in L.A., retired early, now lives in Eretzral and writes Svartim and teaches Dona. Very, very fascinating fellow. His brother, his father and brother, I'm friendly with his whole family, his brother-in-law was my chavrusa in YU. And his brother lives in Boston, is a professor in MIT, very stupid family. <laughs> <laughs> so his, his, it would, he came, they, they've all been to my shul at one time or another. So Rabbi Wasserman, he's the guy, I don't know if you've ever seen the Sefer Otsar Hakipa. It's like two big fat volumes all about yarmulkes and head coverings. So he, he wrote that. So that's what took him so long to come out. Volume 5 is because he was busy working on Otsar Hakipa. And for anyone who's in college, which I guess is all of you, or after college or in the workforce, a, a must-have book he wrote recently called Making It Work in English. He wrote an English book called Making It Work, which is about how to navigate halacha workplace and hashkafa workplace situations. Fantastic, fantastic book. You can get it in your local bookstore. He's not paying me to say this, but uh, you know, really, really, really outstanding books. Anyway, so in Hegyone Parsha, in the very last piece, he discusses this. So when is there a mitzvah to extinguish candles? When, when, when is there ever a mitzvah to Abdullah. extinguish candles? So two places. Havdalah. It's going to burn down your house. Okay, well that's, uh, if it's going to burn down, if it's going to burn any, you know. Somewhere like the Hoshavis, like if it's to, uh, to grab a light for a sick person. To Good, okay, anything that, that, uh, that, that a sick person would need, but that's like Pikach Nefesh, you're always allowed to do that. An Erev Shabbos, so who lights the candles at Erev Shabbos in a typical household? Mother lights the candles. What does the father do? So the father, in many households, sets up the candles to participate in the mitzvah of Habakkas Neiros. Shulchanach, the Ramah, says in Reish Samach Dalit that the minute is that he doesn't just set up the candles, he lights them and blows them out. Why does he do that? Because it will make it much easier to light. You know, sometimes the, the, the wicks are covered with wax and it takes a little bit till the fire takes. So if he light, pre-lights them, he singes them a little bit, so then it will be easier for her to light them. So it's not just time and I sing. Ramah says you're supposed to do that. But how is he supposed to extinguish them? Obviously, he must be blowing them out in some way or another. So the, the stomach of the, of the Ramah is that, uh, is, that, is that the husband's blowing out the family. You know, Tavis Rabbi Kivega writes on the Mishnayis, the, the Mishnah says that women are chayiv in nida chalav adakas haner. Those are the three things that if she doesn't do, she's in big trouble, right? Need the chala v'adaks ner. So he says, why doesn't it just say need the chala and ner? Why does that say adakas ner? So Tosh Rebbe writes, because all she has to do is the hadaka. 
The husband's supposed to do the setup. He's got to do everything else. So it doesn't just say need the challah in there. It's the husband's responsibility to take care of everything up until the hadlaka. There's a chuv in the Bermotion, Hilchas Nita. The Bermotion's Debretzina Rav was a uh, very uh, real Hungarian Hasidic Shaposek in uh, Debretzin and then in Borough Park, um, where, where he, uh, he has a number of fascinating chuvas. I don't know if you know much about the Debretzina Rav. He has uh, a tshuva about YU, he has a tshuva about the OU, he has a, and he has tshuvas about actual halachas also. <laughs> so in one of his uh, tshuvas in Hilchus Nida, someone asked, if a woman's in Nida, and she lit her Nero Shabbos, and she wants to give the candle to, she wants her husband to blow out the candle, and she has nowhere to put it down, while she's in Nida, is he allowed to blow out the candle? So Deborah Tzina Rav says, yeah, it's not a problem la halacha, probably better if she could put it down somewhere and he could take it. But he doesn't even relate to the issue of is blowing out a candle a problem. So it seems that uh, again, majority of postcom I think would assume that it's not a problem. Yeah. Um, numerous people I know, my father included, are very mocked with havdalah to not blow out the tuck. Ah, so by havdalah, good, perfect segue. The Ramah in Simirish Sadivav Si'if Aleph says that the minig is to pour over the the wine of the coast in order to extinguish the flame. So it's very interesting, because we have no such mechanism for the Adachs Neros and Erev Shabbos to make sure that you're not blowing, but it seems like there's a, there's Dafka thing to blow out the flame, Dafka by pouring over the wine. So what's that based on? Is it because of this thing about blowing out candles, that in some way there's some danger of epilepsy or whatever the... You know the issue might be, or saying that Malach's name, or Ner Hashem Nishmas Adam, and Ner represents a neshama, and you don't want to blow out a neshama. Whatever, whatever the, the 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 thing may be, why would that apply to Abdullah and not to and not not to Arab Shabbos? And is is that the reason for Abdullah? So it could be the reason you don't blow out Abdullah candles, and the Ramah recommends to use a liquid, is because Abdullah candle is not a candle; it's a torch. So it typically was more difficult to blow out. So you'd use a liquid to blow it out, to, to extinguish it. But al Kabbalah, apparently, there's a lot more to it. Right? al Kabbalah, apparently, blowing out a candle is a problem, and they would dafka. The only thing that you have to be careful, that when you take on these chumras, al Kabbalah, you have to make sure you're not sacrificing halacha. The, the, uh, there is a halacha, that fruit that has kedusha shviz, fruit that grew during Shemitah, you're allowed to eat, as long as it had a beer, which hopefully the Ravana takes care of. But you're allowed to eat it, but what are you not allowed to do with fruit that has Kedusha Shvi? It's a few things. You're not allowed to throw it out, you're not allowed to do business with it, so you're not allowed to sell it, um, and you're not allowed to waste it in any way. You're not allowed to use it for anything but, let's say if it's wine that has Kedusha Shvi, you're not allowed to use it for anything but drinking. So you can't just spill out. It certainly shouldn't be extinguishing candles with wine that has Kedusha Shvi. What? Rabbi says otherwise. That you can't mm-hmm. use it for Abdullah. He says uh, you can blow out the candle with the wine that is good I'll confirm that, but... Where, where did you... I heard it from his shamash. Really? Oh, that seems strange. Okay. It's derech achila for... Derech achila? It's derech, it's the way you would do Abdullah. So it's not like you're going out of your way to waste it. I don't know. I don't know about that. Okay. Okay, that's that's a very unusual psak. I think the, the standard psak is if you notice that your wine has kedushvius, which it might, something that you may want to notice. Check the wine bottle. Sometimes, if if there's like a good deal on wine, sometimes it's because 
it's also based in Shemitah wine, and they're not allowed to make money off of it. So a good deal of wine. I remember one year my shul was doing a Shalach Manos, and uh, they found a great deal on wine for the Shalach Manos. And uh, we, we noticed after they gave out the Shalach Manos to everybody that it was Shemitah wine. So it gave a great opportunity to give a shear on the halachos of how to handle Shemitah wine. These are things that people in America aren't, aren't used to doing. So, um, now applying to birthday candles, is, is it a problem to blow out birthday candles in terms of blowing? Shomer Psalm Hashem, it's not in Shas, it's not a Shomer Mitzvah, because there's no Mitzvah, but the, so I, I don't think the, the blowing out the candles is our biggest, our biggest issue. So let's, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to what we started with, and then let's, let's wrap this up, okay? We have three, three issues that we started this year with. Birthday, birthday cakes and candles, yoga, and getting down on one knee, right? So birthday cakes and candles. Um, Sachs thought it was mutter because he thought it's just so divorced from, from uh, the original Zarmanik. I find that a very difficult svara. Because what the Ramah says is if you have no explanation of why someone is doing something, you have to assume it's Avodah which means that nobody realizes that it's Avodah So it seemed to be textbook Ramah. Rav Shechter thought, Rav Shechter thought differently. He thought it's multiple for a different reason. He said, candles are not, using candles as a celebration is not unique to Avodah Zarah. That's, that's a universal thing. That's like saying, you know, you can't smile because people smile when they're worshipping their Avodah No, smiling is something people do when they're happy. And you know what else people do when they're celebrating things? Milestones and celebrations and, and Yom Tovim? They like candles. And we have that in Shas. The Gemara says, if you see a Ner Bibayis, they would say Yeshua Haben, Yeshua Haben. What does Yeshua Ben mean? It means they had some sort of either a bris or a, or, or, or a pidira ben or a shalom zachar. There was some sort of su'uda that was going on. Candles are universal. So, you know, at, at chasnas, you don't see it as much anymore, but it used to be that when you'd walk a couple down the aisle at chasna, they held the father and mother would hold candles as they're walking their, ch- their child down to the, to the chuppah. Why candles? Now, sometimes at the fancy weddings, have these fancy flower arrangements along the way that have candles you know, all over it. And as the guys dancing back, they're knocking out candles, almost lighting people on fire, getting wax all over the place. It's really the name of the day. So, but why, can, why, why, does can, why candles, of all the things, why can These candles represent a little more awe, a little more, that's the way they would celebrate. So if you have to thought, candles on a birthday makes a lot of sense. If you hold it, it makes sense to celebrate a birthday. Now, the flaw in that logic is the candles would be in the house, not in the cake. Is very, that, that would be a very strange place to, uh, to, to put the candles, right? It would be, would be in the house rather than in the cake. So in terms of that, it seems that uh, a number of posts can think that it's mutter, even though really, 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 if you look just in the words of Shulchan Aruch, it would seem to be problematic. The one knee thing would seem to be less problematic because it doesn't seem to be based on Avodah yet at the same time, that, when you speak to posts about that, they're almost universal in saying, ah, it's a Goyeshazach. You know, you shouldn't, shouldn't do something like that. Get engaged like a receiver with a stomach, we should play the chasna. Right? That it shouldn't be, uh, you don't have to do that either, but that it, that's a, uh, a non-Jewish thing. The yoga thing I've discussed in the past, I don't have a good explanation as to why it's mutter. I asked Rav Asher Weiss once, he says, yeah, my gut tells me it's mutter. I said, why? He said, I have to write a tshuva. But he said, he didn't really give me a good explanation. I didn't really see anything that really convinced me 
that it's mutter, but people seem to think that it's mutter. It's just one of these things. In general, these topics are, are th- they're things that we do in our everyday life, and we don't realize just how much we've been influenced by the culture around us. Just how many of the things that we do, even the expressions that we say, you know, cross your fingers, knock on wood, all, all of these things, these aren't Jewish things. And, and we've just become so... So, so, so influenced by, by the world around us that it's, it's, it's appropriate for a Jew to be on guard about these things and to try, to try to think about what in fact is a Jewish thing and what in fact is not and to try to emphasize those things that are and de-emphasize those things that are not.